Now I want to pray. And so I'm going to ask you if you'd bow your heads. And, and as we pray together, I know that uh, we all come in here from uh, different, uh, uh, different experiences of the week that's gone by. And uh, for some of us, you may find it so easy to focus your thoughts on God this morning. For some of you, you might find it really difficult. Um, your thoughts may be, God may be the furthest thing from your mind, whether you are close to him or not. Um, won't you just take a moment to let him know exactly where you are? Maybe your thought is, God, I, I know you're there, but I feel so far away from you. Uh, my mind is distracted. For some of you, it's going to be, God, my mind's not distracted. All I can think about is your goodness. But would you just be honest with him? Maybe you have never crossed the line of faith and put your trust in Jesus, and you don't even believe in God. <laughs> I just want to, I want to challenge you to be honest with him and tell him that as well. God, I don't believe in you, but I'm here anyway. So if you're here, speak to me. Father, we want to be honest. When we stand before your throne or fall at our feet before your throne, your word tells us that there's going to come a day every knee will do that anyway. We might be in this building too um, self-conscious to bow on our knees in front of our friends who are around us, but we know there'll come a day when we will all do that, whether we like it or not. We will all bow our knee before you. So Lord, I pray that as uh, we've come before you honestly this morning, that you would speak to us for those who feel far, those who feel close, those who feel distracted, those who feel attentive, that we'd be able to hear the voice of God this morning, that we'd be able to learn from your word this morning and be able to apply that to our lives so we can bring glory to your name. And now you might have thought of a name of someone who you'd love to invite to come and be part of our Easter services or someone you've been praying for that they'll come to know Jesus. Would you just bring that name before him? Just mention it before him. God, it's Jack who works with me. It's uh, God, it's, it's Lucy who, um, who I call on to sell my product to every month. God, as these names have just shot up to you right now, I just want to pray in Jesus' name that you'd remove the blindfold from their eyes that the enemy has placed there. The word, your word says that the enemy blinds unbelievers so they don't know the truth. I pray, God, take that blindfold off. Reveal yourself to them. Give them a strange curiosity for Jesus that when we have an opportunity to speak to them, they'll feel like, yeah, I've been thinking about this anyway. God, also, would you give us opportunities to invite? And when the opportunity comes, give us, give us boldness to step through that door. Now, Lord, speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, guys, please open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. We're uh, going to read a passage and uh, talk around a passage that you know pretty well. It's uh, the, the passage where Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus has uh, just taught through the Beatitudes, uh, the blessed verses, and this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. He's busy sharing with his disciples what it means to be in the kingdom, and um, he's about to tell them um, how they're supposed to be having influence uh, in the kingdom. If you don't have a Bible, then uh, behind me the words will be there, but if you do have a Bible, you want to be in Matthew and Matthew chapter 5. Verse 13 is, is where we will start out this morning. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, some of your versions, the NRV says, if salt has lost its saltiness, some of your versions say if it has, um, if it has lost its flavor, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. We don't really have a, 
uh, a context for this. I don't know if you can remember the last time you had a meal together with a family and you took out the salt and you put it on the food and then you took a bite and you're like, nah, not enough salt. And you put more salt on and uh, I know some of the, the fathers and grandfathers are like that. Like salt, give me more. Kilogram of salt on the steak. Let's eat it. That's fantastic. Oh, it tastes fantastic. The salt tastes just like steak. And then you're eating it and, 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 and then you're like, no, no, it's got no taste. So you take the salt out into the driveway and you just pour it out in the driveway. I don't know if that's been anybody's experience. Well, it actually was the experience in Jesus' day, and I'll tell you why. Then Jesus goes on from talking about salt. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Uh, obviously, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Often when I'm, I'm uh, sitting on, a, on an aeroplane, because that's the best place you can see all the lights, and you come into East London at night, I'm, I'm struck, and people around me are struck at how big East London is. You're like, Gosh, this place is big. You know why it looks big? Because in the dark expanse of night, you just see light everywhere. And you just see how big East London is. At night from the sky, you don't see the segregation between East London and Mtanzani and Buffalo Flats. It's one big city together. It's a beautiful picture as you look down from, from that view as you look down on the city. The city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. In the same way, let your light shine so that they may see your good works. So your light shining and your good works are connected. You let your light shine so that your good works may be seen. If your, if your light is not shining, your good works are not seen. So the more I practice good works, the more my light is shown. The less I practice good works, the less my light is shown. So your light is connected to good works, and salt is connected with flavor. It's, we, we use salt in our, our meals to bring flavor, but the word I want you to focus in on over here is where it says, where salt has lost its taste. Where salt has lost its taste. Have you ever thought of how salt loses its taste? Well, for us... We don't really understand that the original word that, uh, that is translated into English over here is the same root word that we get the word moron from. Uh, a word that we, we don't use anymore in the, the early 19th and 20th century. The word was used to describe an adult who had the intellect of a 12-year-old. It, it was a medical term that was used for somebody who had a low intellect. The word means dull or sluggish. When it applies to the mind, it means to be stupid or to be silly. When it applies to food and taste, it means insipid, flavorless, or flat. It's used three other times in the New Testament. Here's the first one. It's used in the book of Luke, and it's used in Luke 14, 34 to 35. Jesus says, therefore, salt is good. For those of you who put lots of salt on, when, uh, when your wife says to you, you're putting too much salt on, you quote this one. Well, Luke 14, 34 says, salt is good. But even if salt has become tasteless, there's the same word, tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? How can you season salt? <laughs> salt is, your meat is tasteless, you put salt on it, your salt is tasteless, what do, you, what do you put on your salt? It is useless, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He has ears to hear, let him hear, Jesus says. See, there were two ways to obtain salt in the time of Jesus. One way is evaporation. I don't know if you knew this, but seawater has 35 grams of salt per liter. 
That means in a ton of seawater, 1,000 liters is about 35 kilograms of salt. That's why when you drink seawater, it completely cleans everything out. There's too much salt in seawater. It's about seven teaspoons of, sea, of, of salt uh, per liter. So if you, if you evaporate all the water out of seawater, you end up with salt. If you drive down to Port Elizabeth from East London, you know that just as you get to Kucha, you look on the left-hand side, and there are the salt pans over there. And, and that's how, as kids, we always knew we were getting closer to, um, to Port Elizabeth because you see the salt pans coming out on the left-hand side. And if you're lucky, they dry it out, and you can see the white salt around the sides of the salt pans. So I try to figure out, well, if this is how big it is, how much salt do you think there is in, in all the oceans in the world? Right? I want you to think about it. Right? How many of you guys got this as a gift? Gift from Satan or Satan's gift? I mean, your parents might have given it to you, but it's, a, it's, it's Satan's toy. Who got a Satan toy when they were in, you know, younger? There are three of us. A whole lot got it at the eight. Just quickly put up your hands. I want to ask you a question on this one. See a whole lot of you guys. Just don't worry. We're in the good group. We all got one of these. How many of you guys, keep your hands up quickly, just want to, you can put down your hand or keep your hand up if this toy taught you how to remove stickers and put them back on carefully. <laughs> huh? You see, we all did it. You, know, you get that thing out of the box and yellow is yellow and blue is blue and you know, all the colors are together and then you move it around. You're like, oh no, you try another hour, can't get it right. And then you start peeling off all the stickers and then you've got all the blue stickers, all the red stickers, all the yellow stickers and you start putting them all together again and you're like, look. Look, mom, I've got all the stickers in the right place. All right, so I want you to imagine a Rubik's Cube, 280 kilometers high, 280 kilometers long on each side. That's how much salt is in all the oceans in the world. They estimate. I don't know how they did that. I mean, who knows how many liters of water there are in all the oceans in the whole world. But I know this is true because it says so on Google. Actually, Wikipedia. <laughs> Wikipedia says this. If, you don't, if that doesn't mean much to you, it's kind of from East London to Port Elizabeth. That's 280 kilometers. So I want you to imagine a Rubik's Cube that's that big. East London to Port Elizabeth on one side. Imagine getting that thing mixed up. That's how big it is. So you could get salt from evaporating all of this water out. And, and, and by the way, if you took that Rubik's Cube and you split it all up and you decided to give all the land on the whole planet the same amount of, sand, uh, of salt, it'd be 40 stories high. That's how much salt it is for the whole world. 40 stories all over the world. And some of you are like, oh, that would be great. You just, you don't even, you, all you have to do is just bry. Your meat's already salted right there. But there was another way, and that was by mining. And so what happens in mining is there's salt mines. And slaves would go into the mines, and they'd dig out the salt from the mines. And then they would put that in bags, and they'd send it off into the Roman Empire, into Roman colonies. They'd send it to all the big cities. And there in the big cities, salt was traded. Salt was traded in the marketplace. It was also used to pay the salaries of Roman soldiers because salt was worth so much. It was kind of like gold is today. You would trade in it. And you could, you could trade in salt because, you remember, in those days, there wasn't a fridge. So the way you kept your meat from going off is you salted your meat, and you needed salt for that. If you didn't have salt, your meat went off, or you just couldn't eat any meat. And so they would trade the salt together. But along the journey, as people were bringing the salt to the marketplace, this salt that they'd mined from the soil, it's on the back of the camels or horses, it's on a ship, it's on a wagon, it would rain, and, and the salt could leach out of this. 
And then it would come to the marketplace. And you can imagine the merchant is at the marketplace. And here comes all the salt. And he's about to sell the salt. He's got three wagon loads of salt coming in. In his mind, he's just going ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. And then the salt comes out and he tastes it. And all the salt has leached out from the water that had been raining on it. So he asked himself the question, well, what do we do with this now? Do I sell it as potting soil? Do I sell it as soil? What do, what do we do with this? I can't, you can't cook with it. I can't, I can't reflavor it. Maybe if I take some salt from there, I put it into here, it'll, I can't reflavor it once it's lost its saltiness. It's good for nothing. So we just throw it out onto the ground and it would become stuff that they'd walk on. It's too salty for, um, for the plants. The plants would just die and you can't use it to flavor any meal. No one wants to buy it from you at all. So when salt loses its saltiness, it is good for nothing. Jesus says to us, you are salt of the earth, the light of the world. See, here's the thing, that when church loses its saltiness, we become just a club. We become just a charity at best. We become people who are humanitarians, but we lose what we're supposed to be there for. And that's to be salt in the world. Romans chapter 1 is another scripture where this is used, and it says, here it applies to the mind, Romans chapter 1 verse 18, and it says this, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. They lost their flavor. Their minds lost their flavor. Speaking about people who walked away from God and chose to worship idols instead of the God of creation. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20 says this, Who is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of his age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? In other words, the, the, the wisest, most clever person on the planet is still a fool in the wisdom of God. Their thinking has been made flavorless in the wisdom of God. Friends, Jesus is trying to tell us in this passage that we are supposed to be like salt. See, the purpose of salt is to preserve meat, add value, and positively influence the outcome of the dish to which it is added. That's why you use salt. Salt is supposed to positively influence the meal it's been put into. Sometimes you throw too much salt in, you're like, oh, throw the whole meal away. Too much salt, you can't, you can't eat it because there's too much in there. And Sometimes as church, we can do that as well. We so influence that actually it becomes tasteless um, at the end of the day. But when salt is used wisely by a skillful chef, it positively adds value to the meal. And we're supposed to positively influence the worlds that we live in. Wherever you work, live, and play, you're supposed, God's Word tells us as believers, we are salt and we're supposed to positively influence those worlds that we live in. You go, well, I mean, how can I have influence? Well, sociologists tell us that even the most introverted person will influence tens of thousands of people in their lifetime. That even without trying, you'll probably influence about 75 people a day. You're like, well, I don't know how I'd do that. Yeah, well, let's ask this question. When you arrived here today and you greeted that person who greeted you, that's number one, you influenced that person. When you didn't greet the person who greeted you, you influenced that person. Uh, when, you, when you smiled at the person at the robot, you influenced that person. When you screamed at the cat that belongs to your daughter, you influenced your daughter. We influence people all the time. And, and Jesus says we need to positively influence the outcome of the world that we have been added to. 
But influence has an equation. And this is what the equation of influence looks like. So you know there are many equations. E equals mc squared. Energy equals mass times <clears throat> the speed of light squared. I know that because I read it in Google also. <clears throat> Force is mass times acceleration. Influence is relationship times credibility times trust. These three components give you influence. If we're going to be salt in the world that we live in, we need to be able to break down what influence looks like and know that influence means I need relationship, credibility, and trust. Without trust, there can be no influence. Without credibility, there can be no trust. And without relationship, well, there's probably going to be no credibility. So you need these three components put together so that we can influence those around us. And if you have this, you can influence the business you work in. You can influence the customer you sell to. You can influence the family you're a part of. You can influence the whole lot for the flavor that God intended you to influence that family and, and that world with. When we talk about relationship, Jesus said it like this. I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. I just want you to think about that. I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends, right? So let me show you like this. When we talk about servants and masters, <clears throat> is the servant here or is the servant down there? The servant is down there, right? The picture that we would think of Jesus is that Jesus is the one sitting here and everybody's his servant. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. Can I use this chair here? But I call you friends. So you're not down there anymore, but I'm, I'm bringing you up to here. So we're friends. We're, we're equal. I want you to know that. I don't want you to see yourself as low all the time. I mean, I, he's God and we worship him. But Jesus says, I, you know what? There's, sometimes there's a self-esteem issue over here. I want you to know I call you friends. I'm your leader. I'm calling you friends. Jesus is going, okay, you can trust me. I've got credibility. And this is about relationship. This is about, if you see yourself as my servant all the time, we're not going to be able to build relationship. I want you to know I'm not calling you servant anymore. I'm calling you friend. But here's the interesting thing. Jesus says in, uh, in, in, in just a little bit earlier in Matthew chapter 20, he says this, I came to serve and not to be served. So when Jesus comes to the relationship, here's me and here's Jesus. When Jesus approaches the relationship, he doesn't actually approach it as an equal where he says, I've now called you friend. He approaches the relationship as a servant and goes, for me to relate to you, I'm going to come as a servant to you. And then I'm not going to call you a servant but I'm going to call you a friend. What this does is it tells me the nature of how we build relationships. Because as Christians, the way we approach relationship is, I approach relationship to serve. Approach relationship with Pierre. Pierre, Matt, if I want to build relationship with Pierre as a believer, I approach relationship to say, how can I serve Pierre? Pierre approaches relationship with me saying, how can I serve Matt? 
And then when we look at the relationship, we go, man, we no longer call each other servants, but we call each other friends. Is that complicated? Man, if you want to build relationship, it starts where you go, how can I serve? If there's breakdown in relationship, it means someone needs to say, how can I serve? Like Jesus said, how can I, how can I serve? To show the full extent of his love, John 13, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Took on the nature of a servant. Friends, sometimes we take opportunity and we go, man, there's an opportunity. I'm going to go for it. Let us not forget the relationship in the opportunity. It's so important that we get hold of this if we're going to be building relationships. We're instructed to love God, love ourselves. I mean, Jesus tells you to do that, tells you to love yourself. You know why he tells, how he tells you that? He says, love others as you love yourself. Jesus' assumption is that you're loving others well because you love yourself well. So love others as you love yourself. Love God and then love those who are believers. Your neighbor, Jesus says, love your neighbor who's probably someone who's not the same culture as you, probably not even the same faith as you, if you think about the Good Samaritan and the Jews. He says, love one another because people will know if you love one another as a church, people outside will know that you're my disciples. And then he says, love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, your strength. And oh, don't forget, love yourself. Love yourself too. Because if you can't love yourself, you'll find it very hard to love others. So it starts here with me. I need to influence myself. We're instructed to practice hospitality, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 9. And you're like, well, why do we practice? Why should we practice hospitality? Is this, is this me just, you know, inviting people around for coffee and just saying, well, I've, you know, um, I've practiced hospitality. No, well, you see, it's in, in practicing hospitality that the doors of relationship are open. This is where I can serve others. This is where I'm able to do that. I'm able to serve others as I practice hospitality. And so we've often said this before, but have a look around in the church, right? Look around right now at the people who are sitting around you. And, and let me ask you this question. You know, the person who's sitting in front of you, how long have they sat in front of you for? I mean, how many, if you're new to Sterling, you're like, oh, thank goodness. I don't know anyone. Some of you, I see you smiling. It's because there's no one sitting in the chair in front of you either. You're like, oh, thank goodness. There's no one sitting over there. But if somebody is sitting in front of you, do you know their name? Chances are they sit in front of you every week. Do you know their name? Here's the next one. Have you ever had a conversation with that person outside of when the worship leader says, hey, turn around and say hello to everybody. Have you ever had that conversation? Let's go a little bit deeper. Have you ever had a cup of coffee with that person? You're like, why should I have a cup of coffee with that person? Because Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. And by this, all men will know that you're my disciples. And if we can't have a cup of coffee, how can we love each other? Have you ever invited that person to your home for a meal? Nah, they're not really in my small group. I know. Have you invited anyone from your small group to your house for a meal? Yeah, I'm so glad. <laughs> I knew you would have. If we're going to serve one another, it means, see, the person who serves the other takes initiative to serve that person. And if we're going to serve one another to build relationship, it means that we, someone has to take initiative to serve that person and invite that person over for a meal. I'm like, no, I can't invite people over. I don't have, I don't have enough money. 
to invite people. We can barely afford our own family's meals. Ah, okay, this is what I'm throwing out the challenge here. If that's you, come and speak to us. We'll give you money to buy the food for the meal that you can invite somebody to your house for a meal. Okay? If we've got money to do it, we'll do that. If we don't have money, we'll have to do it next month. And, and you can't do it every day. Okay? Just, not every day. <laughs> And it has to be somebody else, not just your own family. It has to be, so there's some terms and conditions that apply with that one. But man, we've got to do something outside of that. Okay, so now just turn around and say to the person behind you, thanks for the invite, I'd love to come for coffee. <laughs> I mean, go for it. Just, the person behind you, thanks for the invite, I'd love to come for coffee. Some of you are going, we so chose the right chair today. No one's sitting in front of us. <laughs> Some of you, there's no one sitting in front or behind. You're going, oh, thank goodness. We really scored over here today. Guys, the basis of influence, right at the base, is relationship. Right at the bottom of this is, how do we build relationship? And here's an interesting thing. Hebrews tells us, that some people, by entertaining strangers and practicing hospitality to strangers, have entertained angels. And the culture we live in, it's pretty dangerous. In the culture that this was written in, um, people could come and knock on your door at night and say, hey, I need a place to stay, and you'd open up your house. That was what was done. It was practice to do that. People would do that. I understand things, we live in a bit of a more complicated world um, right now. But can you imagine what it must be like one day to stand before Jesus and he's, he's busy talking to you, he's fin like he's finished rewarding you and he's like, let me just tell you, you're going to go through there and, and there's paradise on that side of you. And as you look through, you see angels and you, it's like deja vu. You're like, oh, have I seen you before? And because Jesus knows your thoughts, he's like, yeah, you did. And you go, what do you mean? Yes, I did. And he goes, I know your thoughts, remember, I'm Jesus. And, uh, and you go, uh, I was just wondering if I'd seen that angel before. Silly thought. You go, no, it's not a silly thought. Do you remember there was a day where you went into that um, coffee shop and there was a person sitting at that table and you thought to yourself, man, that person looks like they just need someone to speak to. And you asked them, can I buy you a cup of coffee and can we just have a conversation? And you sat talking to that person for an hour. Well, I want you to know that was an angel. It was that one. Imagine what that's going to be like. That's what the Bible says. I mean, this is not freaky. I'm not making this up. It's there. It's in Hebrews. Go read it. Some of you, by practicing hospitality, will entertain angels. Can you imagine that? So let me ask you, how are you doing in this area? Are you putting others first? Or are you putting yourself first? Because as believers, we serve others. We follow Jesus and we come to serve others. In the opportunity, are you seeking out relationship or do you just see the opportunity and leave it? In the opportunity, are you seeking out relationship? Are you practicing hospitality? And here's one that's perhaps a bit harder for those of us who've been following Christ for a long time. Are you intentionally building relationships and pursuing relationships with people who are far from faith? So when I say, hey, let's invite some friends around for Easter who don't know Christ, do you go like, okay, I, I don't know anyone? Who doesn't know Christ? My friendship circle has got so small and so believerish that they're all Christians. That's a natural thing that happens when you become a Christian. Your friendship circle just gets smaller and you end up with just believers in a friendship circle. And so we have to intentionally fight against that. We have to intentionally build relationships with people who don't know Christ. Because we can't just be influencing each other all the time. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. 
That's everyone. So there's relationship. Now we want to multiply relationship onto credibility. Credibility is this. The quality of being believable or worthy of trust. The quality of being believable or worthy of trust. It's the fruit of walking your talking over and over again. You just continue to do it. I, you know, yeah, I talk about it, I talk about it, but I don't ever walk it. I become credible when I start walking the talking. That's, that's what it is. All the time, whether it's good or bad, whether, whether it's, you get the point. Walk and talk it all the time. You see, this is, credibility comes when you take your competence and your skill and you put them together and then you serve others to make a difference. When you take your competence and skill and serve people to make a difference, you know what happens? You become relevant. So church is not relevant because we have a funky paint job on the back of the building. Church is not relevant because we have data projectors and drums in the worship team. Church is not relevant because we sing the latest songs. Church is relevant when you take your gifts that God has given you and you take what you know about God's word and you put that together for the service of others to make a difference. And when you do that, we become relevant. You can have the best looking church, the funkiest worship team, the best projectors that don't give you shadows on the screen and people will still think you're irrelevant if we're not taking the gifts God has given us and we're taking what we know about God's word, our knowledge of the scriptures, and we're using that to make a difference in people's lives. We become irrelevant. You know, people say, well, do you know what? I don't, I don't believe what you say. I believe what you do. How, how do we convey that? How are we telling people that? Because this is who God is. God is one who has been walking what he's been talking for millennia. This is what God's word says in James chapter 1. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Nothing changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God is the same. He doesn't change. You know what that means, guys? It means this, that God... God who is there who provides the job for me is the same God who is there when the job is taken away. He has not changed. Circumstances change, but God does not change. The God who was there when you said, I do, is the same God who is there when you found out your spouse is cheating on you. He has not changed. Circumstances change, but God never changes. He's credible, and you can pursue relationship with him. He pursued relationship with us. He took the initiative to find you. He went out and pursued you. He served you into the kingdom, and he never changes. So 1 Peter 2 and verse 12 says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, and this is Bible speak for those who don't know Christ. The Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, so those who don't know Christ will accuse you of doing wrong, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation or the day when God returns. That on that day, when your faith is vindicated, when judgment has been meted out, they will bring glory to God, not as followers of Christ, but they will acknowledge that God is great and what you had done counted for something. Why? Because you have lived such good lives amongst them. 
that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, you've lived such a good life amongst those who don't believe. Why does God's word tell us to do this? This is why. Because our credibility is meant to reflect God's credibility. He has the scandal of the gospel that God would take his reputation and stick it to you. No, no, stick it to me. That God would take his reputation of being this all-powerful, all-loving God and stick it to Matt Francis who messes up all the time and goes, okay, everybody, you look at Matt and you'll learn how I love. Oh, he made a mistake again. Oh, oh no, he made a mistake again. Here where we live on earth, it's a little bit different. I'm, let's say I'm a sales rep and, uh, and I sell cool drinks and I sell cool drinks for Coca-Cola. And now I'm going to sell cool drinks and I go to the big stores, ShopRite, Pick and Pay, Checkers, Spa, whatever it is. I go to the big store. I sit down with their buying manager and I say to him, uh, hi, um, uh, yeah, just, you know, my name's Matt and um, uh, you know, I sell beverages, um, cool drinks. I have like a cocoa flavor one and you know, there's a green one that we have as well. And, um, and we have like a diet, non-sugar version as well. Um, it's not really as good as the other one, but we do have it anyway, and people will want to buy it anyway. Then we have another non-sugar one. So we've got the sugar one, the non-sugar one, then another non-sugar one. And we'll tell, we do tell people that they're different, but actually it's the same. It's the sugar one, the non-sugar one, the sugar Do you want to sell it in your store? The guy's like, sorry, who are you? I go, I'm Matt Francis. Where, where, where are you from? East London. Oh, that's my PE, hey. No, 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 no. It's 280 kilometers, big Rubik's Cube. Do you know that that's how much salt there is in the world? I'll tell him. <laughs> and, and he goes, I'm, I'm sorry, but we don't, um, I don't understand what cool drink you want to sell us. And then I go, well, he said, what's it called? I go, well, it's called Coca-Cola. And he goes, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's fine. Just give me your, your, your order sheet. Now watch what happened over here. He doesn't care who I am. As a salesperson, I'm riding on the reputation of Coca-Cola. Do you get that? Swing it the other way around. I've just started my own little business. It's called Soda Pop. In Soda Pop, we have a sugar version and a diet version only. Okay, no, we're not getting clever. It's just that's it. It's available in black, green, and orange. And I go to him and I say, hello, Soda Pop, black, green, orange, diet, or sugar? My name's Matt Francis. And he goes, who, where? Oh, P.E.? Sorry, we already sell Coke. He doesn't care who I am. I say to him, but I was here last month. Remember, I sold Coke. He says, oh, yes, I remember you sold us Coke. He doesn't know who I am. He knows that I sold him Coke. Yeah, but remember, I gave you a cap. It said Coca-Cola. There it is. No, well, it doesn't matter. We sell Coke. See, I'm trying to sell him something on my reputation. He's not going to buy. But I come under the reputation of Coca-Cola, and he gets it. Now, here's the scandal of the gospel. God takes his reputation and pegs it to me and goes, hey, world, watch how this guy lives, and I'm going to show you how I love based on how he lives. Oh, be holy because I'm holy, okay? And we make mistakes all the time. And we mess up all the time. Friends, this is this crazy thing that God would say to us, go into this world and act like I would in the world. When we call ourselves by Christ's name, his reputation gets tied to ours. And people will put their trust in Christ if they see how we live. 
But if we're not honoring him, they won't believe in him either. If we do what we say, people will believe a lot easier than if we don't do what we say. We need to be credible. We need to be walking the talking over and over again. Two questions. Uh, how's your life impacting your faith walk? And by this, I mean your job. How's your job in impacting your faith walk? Is it bringing the best out of it or the worst out of it? And when you take your faith walk into your job or your family, is your faith bringing out the best of you in that? Because maybe we need to come to a place where we go, God, this job that I've got is bringing the worst out of me. I need more strength from you. God, I need you to help me because this thing is bring, I, I'm treating people badly in my job. I'm treating my staff badly because of the stress. God, I need you to help me so that I can influence people better. I can be more credible in what I'm doing so that we can influence and be salt wherever we are. Do you feel like you've been perhaps living a double life? By this, I mean you come to church and people in church are like, wow, man, I wish I could be like that guy. Because have you seen when he worships? Because that guy's worshiping at 90 degrees, you know? Some people are like 90 degrees, some naught degrees, some just nah, nothing, you know? But I want to worship like, I want to be a 90 degree worshiper and look at that guy. But you're a 90 degree worshiper on a Sunday and you're just, and you're like, you're nothing on Monday. I feel like I'm living this double life. I, I, I want to serve God and, and I want to worship Him. And I, I walk out of church on Sunday going, Monday, I'm in. And then I get to Monday and I'm just flat. I feel like there's this double life going on. Walk into my family and I'm one thing here, but I'm another thing here. Man, you just need to come to God and say, God, would you help me? I don't want to live this double life anymore. I want to be walking what I'm talking from Sunday through to Monday. And I actually want to do it all the way through to next week, Saturday as well. So God, please, would you help me with that last one? Trust. Last one. Maxwell explains that the foundation of, of trust, or that trust is the foundation of influence. He says it's like having change in your pocket. When I was at seminary, we had one of our lecturers' uh, fathers used to come and um, preach every now and again. And, uh, and he'd always have change or coins in his pocket. Um, and, and, and then while he would preach, he'd be shaking the coins. He'd like ching, 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 ching while he's preaching. And, uh, and this is the reason why I never preach with anything in my pocket, because I watched that and realized this stuff can distract you. For me, just having pockets is a distraction. And, and so this guy would like play with the coins, ching, ching, ching. And then he'd take the coins out and put them in the other hand and put them in the other pocket, ching, 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 <laughs> while he's preaching, ching, ching. Take it out, put it in the back pocket, ching, 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 yeah. And he'd move them around and they put it in his blazer because he preached with a tiny jacket into his blazer pocket, into the side pocket. And we used to sit there watching going, which pocket do you think we're going to end the sermon on? I mean, we couldn't bet, right? Because we were at Baptist College. And we weren't, there's no betting happening, but everyone was like, so top pocket, where, where do you think it's going to finish, you know? Maxwell says it's like this. Every time you enter into a relationship or a new position or a new project with a new team, you start out that project, you start out that relationship with a pocket full of change. You just don't know how much there is. And every time you make a bad decision, Every time you hurt somebody, every time you disappoint somebody, intentionally or unintentionally, you're paying out change all the time. Every time you mess up with a client, you're paying out change. Every time you mess up with a customer, you're paying out change. You just don't know how much there is. Whenever you get it right, they're paying you change back. So whenever you make a good decision with the team, you're getting change back into your pocket. 
But if you are breaking trust with people and they're breaking trust with you and they're losing change with you and you're losing change with them, it reaches a point where you now no longer have anything left in your pocket and neither do they. And when there's no change left in their trust pocket and no change left in your trust pocket, you're in a bad, bad place. You see, when you, when you reach a place of, of trust bankruptcy, bank bankruptcy comes quickly after that. It doesn't mean because bank bankruptcy is there, you've had trust bankruptcy. Sometimes the world is just bad. But if you lose trust, you will lose your money if you're a business leader. If you lose trust, you will lose people in your life. And so you have to make sure that you're able to build that trust over and over again. So the question is, how do we grow trust? How do, I, how do I grow trust with my wife? How do I grow trust with my children? How do I grow trust with those I work with, with my customers, with my, with my colleagues that I work with? How do I grow trust? Here's number one. If you want to grow trust with people, you need to be giving trust from them, giving to them and also taking from them. I mean this. If I want to be trustworthy from Vickers, I need to trust him. I can't expect Vickers to trust me if I don't trust him. So every time I walk past him, he knows that I don't trust him. Yet I expect him to trust me. I'm like, look, Vickers, like, I lead the show. You trust me. And then Vickers is like, Matt, would you like me to anchor? And I go, no, no, I'll do it. Never, ever let him do it. Sooner or later, he goes, you know what? This guy doesn't trust me. And I don't know if I trust him. Why doesn't he trust me? And so there's a trust breakdown that starts happening. And I, I use Vickers because that's not the case, right? We, we're good. <laughs> so just know that we're good. We are, eh? Yeah, we're good. Okay, we, we're good. So you give trust to become trustworthy. Second one is this. Be vulnerable about your weaknesses. When's the last time you were vulnerable about your weaknesses? Some of you, I know, I can look at the men straight away. I know what you're thinking. You're like, I'm not weak. Um, we're strong. I'm okay. So here's Paul. This is what Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 to 10. Three times, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this thorn in his, in his flesh. He, had a, he said he had a thorn in his flesh, a messenger from Satan sent by God. That should mess up your theology today. A messenger from Satan sent by God. Three times I asked God to take it away from me. This is what God said. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly, Paul says, of my I'll boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I'm like, Paul, are you out of your mind? I'm content. How many of you are content with insult? If people insult you, you, can't, you know what Jesus said about insult? He said, the slap on the cheek. That was an insult in Jewish culture. culture. If the person insults you, turn the other cheek, let them insult you again. Doesn't matter. Left cheek, right cheek. Boom, boom. There we go. Paul's like, I've become content. I'm okay with that. I just have to be vulnerable with you today and say, I'm not. I struggle with this. When I'm insulted, I struggle with this. I'm like, Paul, I'm praying, God, would you help me be like Paul? But slowly. This, slowly. Because to be like this, you know, to be content with insult, you need lots of them. 
I'm just like, slowly, just slowly, maybe one next year. Just slowly, Jesus, please. Be vulnerable about your weaknesses. And let people know about your weaknesses. I don't know if you've ever done that. I had to do that with our staff. Because in my weakness, I hurt them. I hurt my team. I don't know if you do, but I do. And, 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 and it's, you're not intentionally doing it. No one decides, you know, today I'm just going to mess up everybody's life. No one, no one does that unless you're a psychopath. It means you're probably not here. You're in jail somewhere. But, but you're just going like, you know what? I, I hurt people. And if you're a leader, you're probably doing this more than others. And if you want to build trust, it means being vulnerable about your weaknesses. It doesn't mean people will trust you straight away. When you stand up and go, hey, guys, I want you to know I totally blew it. I hurt you, and, and I'm really sorry. They don't go, oh, really? Fantastic. I'm trusting you now. You still lack change in your pocket. The only difference is now people are willing to allow you to build more change in the pocket. Last one. Be willing to apologize and practice forgiveness. Apologize and practice forgiveness. Not just apologize and not just forgive, but to apologize and practice forgiveness. To let go of past hurts. To reflect on how Christ forgave you. Man, guys. If you've been a Christian for any period of time longer than a month, chances are someone who's a Christian has hurt you or disappointed you or made you wonder about whether God is actually that great. The longer you be a Christian for, the greater the chance is that a Christian is going to hurt you and more specifically a Christian leader is going to hurt you or disappoint you. Do you know why I can tell you that with certainty? Because we're all human beings. And you do it in your world, and Christian leaders do it in theirs. And you will hurt believers, and you will hurt me, and I will hurt you, and we will hurt others. Because inside of us, the sinful man still lives. And that sinful man is so full of self and will rise up at the wrong time. And so that means we have to come to a place where we can be quick to apologize, but we can be as quick to forgive. Because when we hold on to unforgiveness, it just hurts us. Somebody came to me a little while ago and said, Matt, I just have to say to you, I'm so sorry. And I was like, uh, and I always get worried when people say sorry to me, and I've got no context for that. I was like, uh, yeah. And they said, two years ago you did something, and I've been angry at you for two years. And I went, I didn't know that what I did had impacted you so much, and I'm gutted by that. I'm completely gutted by that, because like you, I don't start my day figuring out, who can I really hurt today? And I was like, I'm so sorry. This person said sorry. There were tears. There was like, okay, we're good. And you know what? I didn't know what was going on. And so for me, the relationship was just, you know, didn't really feel very much. But man, I just tell you, after that, there was such a freedom in that relationship. It was just like a new freedom. That God just brought something new in that. And it's not like, the person said, sorry, and I was like, oh, yeah, come onto the stage. Do it on stage. Ooh, I'm going to make a fool of you now. No, it's just, it's just this, like, this is godly forgiveness. And godly forgiveness and godly apology brings freedom. 
And that's what it needs to look like, friends. To let go of past hurts. And when I do that, people start to trust me. When I say sorry, people start to trust. A little bit more, people start to trust. We had to share with you guys last week. And uh, we had to share with you how uh, we, we just communicate badly. We realize that we, we don't communicate clearly enough as a church. Um, and so when I say as a church, it's like, you know, the royal church, because actually it's me. I don't communicate well. Um, I've realized that I will, I will share some stuff, and in my mind, I've been thinking about this for weeks, and so I think so of you, but you haven't. And so I'll come to a Sunday, share three seconds, and expect you to have got five minutes. But actually, you only got the three seconds, and you heard it for the first time. And so we realized this when we were talking about prayer meetings, and we realized actually there are a lot of people in the church who don't know that we have these prayer meetings, and people want to go to those times to pray, and they didn't even know. And so some people think we don't have any prayer meetings as a church, but we do. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about another issue that just happened, which, is, uh, which we realized just how badly we've been communicated. And I've had to say to you as a congregation and to others, I'm so sorry that I communicated badly on that one. We try to send our staff on when they have a sabbatical. We try to send them on a, on a, um, a conference, a leadership conference, a, f- a fulfillment conference um, in, in Chicago. And, uh, and so this conference we save um, for a couple of years to send each staff to this, this conference. Last year, four of us went. Um, it was uh, uh, Nikki and Ian who were on sabbatical, Roger, who doesn't get a sabbatical, but because my ticket was paid for by Willow Creek Church, we were able to give the money we saved for me to him. So we were able to take our four staff members to go. When we got back, Sims said to us, Matt, this month's giving has just been way low. And, and we're like, yes. And she said, it's just unusually low. And we went, oh, I mean, that's terrible. What's happening in the life of our congregation? Is it that there's like costs that people don't have? It's, what do we not know about? We need to be able to be ready to serve the congregation. So we decided to ask you guys. And so we gave that survey. If you were here, you remember. Um, we said, like, just a quick survey, snap survey. Tell us a little bit about the finances. Don't write your name on it. We want it to be um, anonymous. We learned a heap from that. And we walked away from that going, oh, Brilliant. Congregation answered this. Now we know how we must look after the congregation. Next year, November, we, we probably need to get more food packs ready. Um, don't ever plan like a big building project to start in November. It's a bad time of the year. All, all of that. Like we can see that things are changing. What we didn't do is communicate one first, then the other one. And so what it looked like is we had been overseas, four of us on a big trip, spent all this money and then came back to you as a church and went, you're not giving, so give more money so we can go overseas. Man, we communicated badly on that one. And I'm so grateful that some people came and said, Hey, Matt, this just doesn't look right. Because if one person has a question, there's probably 10 others who have the question, right? And so we're able to go, Guys, I'm able to go, I'm so sorry we communicated badly on that. We uh, really thought that you'd be bored of our stories of Chicago and what's going on over there. So we didn't think we have to tell you more about that anymore. Uh, we, we thought that everybody knew that we had saved for years, but didn't uh, take into account that a lot of you are new and didn't know that. And uh, flip, it was bad timing, and we're really sorry that the timing happened together. Man, please forgive us on that one. We, we just did a bad job on that. And just a sidebar, if you've got any questions on that, please come and talk to me. Um, we'd love to chat with you about that. Uh, we're willing to even come to your Bible studies and talk about that. <laughs> just a terrible mistake um, on how we did that. And so it just looks bad. And we lost change. As a leader, I lost change. That day, I took change out. 
of both pockets and just threw it all over the congregation. I'm so glad that some of you are going, well, we'll give you some time to earn it back again. Uh, you know, we'll give you some time. We'll let you earn it back. Friends, God comes to us. He comes from heaven and he becomes a man, Jesus, and he pursues relationship with us. He is credible because he's done it over and over and over again. And you can trust him because he does what he says. And so I want to ask you to allow God to influence your life today. I want, you, I want to ask you to just surrender to him and say, God, would you come and influence my life? You are, you are so trustworthy, so credible, so relationship towards me focused that I want to allow you to have influence in my life. If you have never given your life to Christ and you still, uh, you've never crossed that line of faith, today's the day where you can repent of your sin and just say, God, I'm so sorry I've blown it before you. Would you forgive me and would you come and live in me? If you are harboring some kind of unforgiveness or, <clears throat> or you need to apologize to somebody, would you just say, God, would you, would you help me? Would you help me to forgive? God, would you help me to have that conversation that I need to have? Help me to do that. Because there's so much more at stake than just us. This is the reputation of Christ. It's Him. Let's bow our heads together. Just in this moment, would you just respond to God? What has He been laying on your heart? Perhaps it's a relationship that he's laid on your heart. Perhaps it's an issue that he's laid on your heart. Maybe God's even said to you, you need to go and ask Matt a question. There's something that happened and you need to come and ask me that question. Just say, God, would you give me boldness and courage to follow through on what you're challenging me on? Ask him. God, for the glory of your name, for the sake of your church, that Jesus you died for, Give me courage. Maybe for some of you, you're just going, God, I feel like you've changed. But today I hear that circumstances change, but you don't. God, I just need to know you as the, the loving, kind, providing God who you are. I need to know you like that again. For some of you, you're saying, God, forgive me of my sin. I want to follow you. God's been speaking to you this morning. I just want to pray for you. and I want to ask you to stand where you are. If God has been, been, been just laying something on your heart, whatever it is, just acknowledge it before him and stand. You're just standing before God. You're not standing before people. You're standing before God. And I want to pray for you. I want to pray for courage. I want to pray that God would stir your heart. I want to pray that God would come and show himself to be powerful in your life again. I'm just going to give you a couple more seconds and I'm going to pray. Father, as we stand in this place, we stand before you. And I want to ask you, Lord, by your spirit, that where you have moved in our hearts this morning, God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would come and give us wisdom. 
you'd show us what the next steps are, that you'd give to us boldness and courage to do what you've told us to do today. Father, where you've sown seeds into people's lives, protect them from the enemy coming to steal them as we walk out the door. Lord, we ask you this for your glory and yours alone. For those who stand, Lord, I pray just for a, an outpouring of your spirit in their lives. Just a new sense of peace and spiritual vitality in Jesus' name. Our Lord, as we go, wherever we go, help us, Lord, to influence those around us. Help us to grow relationship, credibility, and trust. So that when people look at us and they hear your message, they will be able to believe it, not just because they've heard it, but because they've seen it in our lives. Help us to influence our world for you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless everybody.